Welcome to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. Lost are saved, find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your great name. Thank you, Aaron and the team. I know we've gone long on worship already, but it's a sweet spirit in here. I'm thankful to be in here. I feel like I could do this forever, but we are going to transition to our time of kind of studying the Word a bit and preparing for Lord's Supper. I um, want to also do, uh, we, I don't think we got to them during prayer and praise, but the Lowe's are in town. That's Chris and Stephanie back there, and they were part of our church body forever, and Chris is doing his medical training now in Minnesota, and Mr. Price, did I see Mrs. Price here somewhere? She's around somewhere too, yeah, right? So anyway, always a joy to have you all. So, um, all right, well, we are in August now, which is crazy, stretch run of the summer. So we are going to continue on with our Psalm series. We'll do this through end of August into Labor Day weekend. The, church, the church's birthday slash anniversary is always the Sunday after Labor Day weekend. So we'll kind of turn the page in that second week of September, but we'll be in the Psalms for this last stretch. So um, when we decided we we're going to do Psalms this summer, the one I wanted to do first was this one, but just from a personal standpoint, I wanted to meditate on this one longest of all. I wanted it to just kind of sit in me for a while because it's become, it's a weird topic to say it's become one of my favorite topics in the Bible, but it, it has. Um, the topic of this psalm is confession. Can you say that word with me? Confession. That sound, might sound like a weird thing to be really excited about because it's inherently guilt-ridden, right? When you're doing confession, you're thinking about your transgressions, your sins, your iniquities, what it is that you're guilty of, what you need to be confessing before God. That doesn't actually sound like a very fun process. Uh, and yet, the way the Bible talks about it is actually really incredibly beautiful. And um, the, the Psalms in particular, you know, I, I, King David and his Psalms on confession are amazing. And I think that's one of the reasons I've come to love confession so much because he's one of the stories I most resonate with in the, in the Bible. You know, David's fascinating. Um, he's clearly one of the most sinful people in the Bible. I mean, he, he checked off just about every sin list you could check off, right? Um, and yet he, had, he was the one and only person who had the title. What, what, what was he remembered as? A man after what? Man after God's own heart, right? So it is biblically possible to be super sinful, and to be a man after God's own heart. It's possible to, be, to commit really unthinkable acts against God and still be a woman after God's heart. I, I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't in the Bible, but it is there, right? And so when we get to his Psalms on confession, I think we get to one of the real secrets um, as to how David was able to move from sinful places back into this deep union with God. Um, confession was a big part of how he was able to move from kind of living in the dark to living in the light with God. And so um, uh, I think that's it's pretty inspiring. So, you know, his most famous one is after he had the affair with Bathsheba where he, you know, prays, created me a clean heart. The one we're going to do, I think, is the one that I think if you, if you only had one place in the Bible to look at kind of the fullness of what confession is, I, seen, I think Psalm 32 is about as good as you could do. So we're going to read Psalm 32 together. So if you want to open your Bibles or your Bible on your electronic device... Psalm 32, we will stand together for the reading of the word. This is a psalm of confession from King David. 11 verses, he says this. 
Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So David kind of starts at the end in a lot of ways and then goes back through. The first two verses, he talks about, it's, it's really vision casting, these two verse, verses. Whenever, whenever, we've talked about this before, whenever the Bible says you're blessed or it gives a picture being blessed, um, this is describing kind of whole life in God. This is describing peace that passes understanding. This is describing kind of this Hebrew idea of shalom. It's when God's kind of presence is really on you. And so he gives us a vision for the person whose transgressions are forgiven. For the person whose sins are covered, they are blessed. For those who the Lord does not count their sin against them and whose spirit is no deceit, they are blessed. All right? So he starts with the vision. And then what he does through the rest of this, um, it's pretty straightforward. I just kind of want to travel through. He, he gives kind of three interlocking ideas around confession, and they kind of build on each other. And again, I, I think it's the most comprehensive vision we have for um, why confession is so important, how to do it, and kind of what, what we get at the end. So um, he moves through this progression. We'll just kind of follow each of these. The first idea, when he's talking about this vision of what confession can produce, first idea, he wants us to see how serious unconfessed sin is. All right? Uh, or to say it in a different way, uh, according to David here in the psalm, unconfessed sin eats away at you from the inside. Do you see the, I mean, it's very vivid imagery in verse 3 and 4. He's reflecting on what happens when he sits with sin that's not yet been given to God. All right, verse 3, he says, when I kept silent, right, when I've failed to confess this, my bones wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Hey, and I, I think when we're, when we're looking at how we're built according to God through the Bible, um, this is one of the really key ideas to see, that sin, while it can be forgiven, while it can be covered, when, when we fail to confess it to God, when we fail to bring it into light in God, it has got an incredibly powerful internal effect. It really does kind of eat away at us on the inside. And the longer you hold it, the more it eats at you. You've probably experienced this, right? When you're sitting with something you know you've done wrong, 
I keep going back and forth on this, whether I want to share this. I think I shared this very early on, but I'm tempted to share with you one of my grade-A sins that I'm confessing of. Um, is that of, of interest to you? Or uh, 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 I, My instincts are all backwards. You know, when you're trying to propose that you're a moral and spiritual leader, telling you all your worst things is probably not the wisest strategy. But so I'll do it. Uh, um, uh, because this is where this psalm really became so real for me. This was when I was 18 years old, and this doesn't excuse any of it, but 18 was when I was at my lowest point in life. That was just a lot of hard things, a series of hard custody battles between my father and mother, moved schools five times in five years, didn't really develop friendships, kind of smallish and got beat up on a lot. Um, wasn't quite aware of my internal charm and handsomeness yet. They hadn't quite showed up the way they would later on, which would give me a whole other level of confidence. But um, So 18, is I, I was very insecure, very kind of lost. And so, um, you know, people do weird stuff when they're insecure and lost. For me, I went on a pretty bad stealing streak. Um, I started, well, I don't know, how else do you say that, stealing? But um, uh, it was... Of course, I wasn't self-aware of this at the time, but I think it was really motivated by, I was trying to find something I was good at, and weirdly, that was one of the few things I was good at. So over a two-week period, I kept escalating. Um, the more significant the security setup was, the more intrigued I was to see if I could pull it off. And so it was about a two-week stretch. I had just enrolled as a freshman at University of Illinois, Chicago at that time. And so I was there for my first week of classes, and everybody was talking about how incredibly secure the UIC bookstore was. And so um, being stupid as I was, I decided to make that my next place. And over the course of about six hours, I emptied them out of just about everything. It was a very sophisticated ploy, and I pulled it off, and I had two trunkfuls worth of stuff. And um, um, I, I, that was the peak of this. And so that night, I couldn't sleep. I was so restless. It was Psalm 32 language. So I didn't know it at the time. My bones were wasting away. Something felt so wrong. And I knew I should confess it. I didn't confess it, but I did a weird version of confessing it. I went back to the UIC bookstore the next day again. And, um, uh, and this is, whereas I had spent, I was, it was a very carefully orchestrated kind of thing the day before. I mean, how blatant is this? I walked in, I walked to the, jet, the area where the leather jackets were. I put four leather jackets over my arm, and I just walked straight out. Now, what is any, what's going to happen to anybody who walks out with four leather jackets, right? In this case, it wouldn't have mattered if I was slick. I had, they had already been waiting for me. The Chicago police were waiting for me. So they cuffed me in front of all my peers, you know, and I went off to jail. And um, it's, it's a little bit of a side story, but it actually is very relevant and it's very formative. Um, it was terrifying doing this. It was, it was two officers. One happened to be one white and one happened to be black. They spent about 10 minutes just in a private room. They knew I had done this the day before. So they just started throwing me around and hitting me and pushing me. The, the white cop put me up against the wall at one point, holding me by both collars. He said, come on, I work out every day of the week so that some punk like you will say something to me. Totally terrifying, right? So then they bring me to the station. You know, I'm just getting so scared. They told me what was going to be waiting for me. The, the African-American officer comes and sits next to me. We had the wildest conversation. He comes next to me. He sits next to me. He goes, you're not a thief. Well, actually, I am. I just stole a bunch of stuff. He's like, no. He's like, I, I know what thieves look like. You're not a thief. And he goes, the fact that you walked out with those things over your, over your, over your shoulder, he said, you wanted to get caught, didn't you? He's like, well, not viscerally that I want to get caught. I mean, this is not exactly what I was saying. But he was right. He goes, he goes, I think that was your way of stopping whatever you're doing right now. And then what he did next is one of the most amazing graces that God's ever given me. It's also one of the most amazing privileges that's ever happened to me. Because he felt so such a great level of compassion for me, he went and advocated first to the police chief and then the um, prosecuting attorney. At the time, I don't know if this is the law. At the time, if what you stole was under $100, it was a misdemeanor. If it was over $100, it was a felony. That's obviously a huge difference. And so I was going to get charged with a felony. He went and convinced 
the prosecuting attorney to drop it from a felony to misdemeanor for me. Convinced, I actually heard him doing it on the phone saying, this is a good kid, this is going to ruin his life, he'll never get a job. And just kind of an aside, but so that is when I realized how the degree to which you see the humanity of somebody can have tremendous impact, right? And I experienced the exact reverse of what's happening. I actually deserved to get a felony, and he went to bat to get me to drop to a misdemeanor. And we have kid after kid after kid who deserves misdemeanors since getting felonies because of the way society treats them and because of the way the system fails them. And I have never forgotten that I'm not, I've never forgotten the privilege of that. I've never forgotten the grace of that. That, would, that was a game changer, a misdemeanor versus a felony for me. But I go back to, I often think of that because to me, that's a very like larger than life example of the way that sin eats away at you. But that sense of sinning and knowing I was doing something wrong, it was like literally, I only lasted two weeks in that and like something had to give and I hated having to be in jail and all that, but it broke it for me, right? And it turned me around and it became a living example where it's like, some of us have to learn the hard way, right? It's no fun to try to sin and live in that sin and defy God. It's just not how we're built. It's not what we're built for. And when we, when we sin, and we're all going to sin in different kinds of ways, when we sin, when we don't confess to God, it eats away at us. It chews away at us. It deteriorates us. That's just what's true according to the Bible. So the only difference is some of us are aware of that and some of us are not, right? Or some of us are want to do something about, something about that, and some of us are going to keep trying to like hold it in, even though it's eating away at us. Right? So um, this, is, this, to me, is one of the most important things to understand about confession. And I think it's, it's, it's this is the long point, don't worry. Um, uh, uh, what's, what's significant, I think, about confession is that it's not for God. We don't confess because God needs us to confess. Right? God knew it was in my heart long before I ever even sinned against God that way. Right? God knew how bad it was the moment I was doing it. It wasn't like God was waiting there to say, all right, let's see if you know, he can square things up by confessing it. It was more for my sake that I needed to confess that. Right? It's, it's, it activates God's grace when we bring our sin into his presence. It's really a cleansing thing for us to bring this. Confession is much more for us than it is for God. I guess that's the bottom way of what I want to say. God has designed confession as a way to get right with him again and to be in the light and to be free. So that's this first big idea that David develops, that sin eats us up from the inside when it's not confessed. All right, second big idea that's got deep theological roots in verse 5. Um, David is interrogating himself as he's, as he's moving towards the beauty of confession. He's interrogating his own temptation. And, and in verse 5, he says, I did not cover up my iniquity. Now, he gets on the right side of this by not covering up. But what he's showing us is that this is the overwhelming temptation in the human heart is to cover up our sin, right? We are so um, um, afraid, really. We are so afraid of what it might mean when the sin gets spoken out loud, when others know about it, when God knows about it, that we will hide at all costs, right? This is David directly referring to the Garden of Eden when he talks about this. Um, Adam and Eve had this perfect relationship with God in the Garden, of course, right? And so the, the, the serpent comes, tempts them. They disobey the one rule that God gave them to not eat off the tree that they weren't supposed to eat off of. And as soon as they sin, what's the first thing Adam and Eve do? They hide. They hide from God. And then once God kind of forces them to come out, they hide from each other, right? They put these fig leaves on top of them. And I 
these first two is really more about self-awareness, I think, and the last one's about seeing God clearly. It is so important that we see, A, how dangerous unconfessed sin is when we allow it to eat away at us, but two, it's almost impossible to overstate how strong our temptation is to hide our sin from God and from each other. Right? You've got this incredible impulse that's exactly oriented in the wrong direction. Right? The impulse is to not let anybody see the sinful side of you. And the impulse is to not let God see it, even though, of course, we understand God already sees it. But nonetheless, we do what Adam and Eve does. We, we, we want to hide from God when we do things wrong. And we want to, we all do the Adam and Eve thing with the fig leaves, right? When you do something wrong, you almost overdo it then of trying to make yourself look better than you are because you're so consumed with a sense of guilt and shame and conviction that you'll constantly be tempted to cover yourself up and to hide from what is now true about you of this act that you've committed. What's true about this kind of, you know, it uses multiple synonyms, transgressions, iniquities, sins, when we sin, we are tempted to cover up. And it's a very straightforward idea, but it's one that we must constantly come back to in our own selves of going, when I sin, my temptation is to hide from God and hide from others, right? That is my overwhelming temptation to hide from God and hide from others. And David, just as clearly as he's saying, goes, I know that's in me. I know that's my temptation. So in so many ways in verse 5, what he's saying, like, this is the most important point of confession for him is choosing not to cover it up. Like, that's, that's where the battle is won for David. Once he chooses, in verse 5, once he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and no longer covered up my iniquity. That is the moment where he crosses from the dark into the light. That's where he crosses from the, li- the, the line from hiding into revealing it fully to God. And so these first two are really more about understanding what happens in us, that sin eats away at us. It's got a totally corrosive, destructive reality inside of us, and yet we'll still be overwhelmingly tempted to hide. We'll be overwhelmingly tempted to cover it up, to not bring it before God, not confess it to each other. That's what's true of us if we don't find some kind of a way to turn the corner. You tracking with me? So David, verse 5, he turns his corner. He says, you know, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquities. And then the streams just start flowing here. And this is, these are the kind of things we could just come back this week after week after week and we couldn't still get to the full beauty of what he's saying. Uh, let, let, me, let me put a label on this final point and then we'll look at how David says it. Uh, th- this final idea that David has, confession is the gateway. Confession is the gateway to absolute freedom and liberation, according to how David treats it in the Psalms. It is the absolute gateway to freedom and liberation. Look at, it, he is, this is where his like artist side comes out, because it is like so over the top. But let's just, I wish we had more time to just kind of sit in each one of these, and we'll do this at Bible study. But let's just make sure to like label some of these. Uh, for second part of verse 5. All right, so let's say we confess. What happens? Let, let, let's cover four or five things that David says happens. Once we confess and trust who God is, which is really at the root of oftentimes why we don't confess, because we don't believe. And how, how true is this, right? We we don't trust that if we say how bad we are in front of God, that God will turn around us and receive us as children still. right? We don't trust that. We don't trust that God can do that time and time again. And yet, this is what David says happens. So first, verse 5, last part of it, you forgave me the guilt of my sin. This is like the least flowery, but probably the most important. Right? He says, yeah, this is what's true. When we confess, our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Our sins are forgiven. And then verse 7 is where he just like one after one after one goes over the top. Let's, let's, let's kind of sit in verse 7 for a minute as he talks about 
the gateway that gets opened through confession. So first, first part of verse 7, he says, you are my hiding place. Now, I just want to like start this one, and I hope you'll kind of think about it more as you reflect on it during the week. Isn't it fascinating that in the same psalm where David is acknowledging that the greatest temptation we have is to hide from God when we sin, that when we confess, God becomes the hiding place? What a, what a parallel move, to, or not parallel, to go from the sense of, in my humanness, I'm tempted to hide from God, but when I cross that line and confess my sins to God, God actually becomes my hiding place. Right? That is where this covering happens. This is where I can go and trust that I am fully seen and loved. He says, um, uh, confession helps protect me from trouble. And I think this is him building on that same idea that um, it brings trouble upon your inner world when you've got unconfessed sin. Right? It just creates all kind of um, corrosive kinds of realities to happen inside of you. So it's a protection. It is a, is a, is a hedge of protection when we confess, we think it's the opposite. We think if we confess, we're going to get in trouble, right? It's your confession that we're protected from trouble. And then um, we'll just we'll, we'll finish with this last one going into um, communion. And you surround me with songs of deliverance. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Deliverance is such a powerful word, right? And um, I have been just reflecting on this image, right? Um, it's not just enough that David says, I'm forgiven. He says, I'm surrounded by songs. Right? Try, I mean, when, when, you, when you hear artists talking about being surrounded by songs, right? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a love song kind of a thing, right? When you're surrounded by songs from somebody, like that's somebody singing love songs over you, right? It's covering you with this absolute sense of delight and care and affection and warmth, uh, it's just incredible, right? He says, he says, you, when I confess, you surround me with songs of deliverance. And this is what makes David's story so unique, I think, because, of course, now we're, we're reading this as a king who's lived many years and gone through many kinds of kind of interesting chapters to kind of fulfill the, the call that God had on him. But, you know, where this began for David, this trust in who God was didn't begin as a king. It began as a shepherd boy out in the fields, right? It began with a shepherd boy who, in the most pure, innocent way possible, would lay his head back at night and look at the stars and say, I am beloved by my God. I am the son of a God who sings songs of delight over me, who sings songs of deliverance over me. That, that started getting formed in him long before he ever had this call to become a king. And honestly, without trying to oversimplify the story of these two, I think it's probably the biggest difference between him and Saul. Saul came out of the shoots right away with getting the approval of human beings, and he could never figure out how to live as a beloved son of God. David learned, before he ever had this heavy crown on him, David learned how to be a delighted son of God. And so when he became king, and even when he would screw up, even when he would screw up royally, he would never minimize. There were serious consequences that came from his sin. He never minimized the sin. But he trusted that because God was who God was, that when he confessed, that not only were his sins forgiven, which of course is enough in and of itself, not only was God his hiding place, which of course is enough in and of itself, not only would it deliver him from trouble, but, but that this delight would come again, the way he says in verse 7, that he would be surrounded with songs of deliverance. 
And so I propose most of us don't even have that spiritual capacity yet to believe that God sings songs of deliverance over us when we're confessing of sin. But man, I sure think it gives us a great vision to hope for. I think it gives us something to go to the communion table with asking God for, saying, boy, this is a pretty uneven exchange. I'm bringing my worst, and consciously so, like not confessing just in a generic way, but confessing even to the things I know I betray you with. And then in my place, I don't just get forgiveness. I get songs. I get songs sung over me. I would, not have the, I would not have the audacity to say that's true if it wasn't so clearly stated in Scripture. And I wouldn't have the audacity to say we can believe that if we didn't see over and over that the one that the Bible calls the man for God's own heart learned how to step from sin into songs through confession to come into the presence of God and exchange his worst for a God who sings songs of delight over him. And so as we prayerfully prepare ourselves for the receiving of this amazing gift of the Lord's Supper, just bow heads and let's just... Let's take a moment to kind of get ourselves ready. And let's, 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 let's do our best to take Scripture at face value to believe that how God presents himself in Scripture is actually true. So, God, we, we, we start at the beginning. We start with this Genesis imagery that King David refers to of a God who loves his people and a people who betray their God. And a God who, when he is betrayed, still comes right back again and says, where are you? Come, let's still be in unity together. Let's walk in the garden together. We pay attention to the one you call the man after your own heart. One who sinned small ways, sinned in medium ways, sinned in big ways. And we see that this man would sin, but he would confess it. He would come contrite and honest to you in your presence. And you would receive him. You would restore him. You would forgive him. You would create a hiding place. And then, God, we invite you, we invite your spirit to bring to life these images as much as possible. That, it's, that we, like David, can have songs sang over us. In fact, if we're honest, the songs are already being sung over us. We just can't hear them clear enough. God, I don't know why anybody would want anything other than this. We don't need to try to pretend that we're better than we are, but we do need to bring it into your presence and confess it and receive your holiness and righteousness in response. And then to trust that it's not some angry God who's found a way to look past our sin, that you sing songs of deliverance over us. So God, as we come and receive of this gift from others in our body right now, as we take of the bread that represents the flesh ripped apart of Jesus Christ on the cross, as we dip it in the cup that represents the blood who by your stripes we are healed. God, we confess of our sins and we remember we're not just forgiven, we're sung over. Help that to go deeper and deeper, we pray. Amen. When you're ready, you can come and receive the gift. There will be elders in the back for prayer. We invite you to partake of that as well. Well, do you see why it is that David can say, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven? Can you see why David says, blessed are those whose sins are covered? It's the constant recalibration of truth that we need to come back to, that when we hide and when we pretend, 
we create this illusion of strength, but but inside we're weak and getting weaker. And when we take the risk to tell God and our closest confidence who we really are, that seems weak, but it's the only way to really have songs sung over you. It's not until you confess and become right with God that you find that inner strength, that trust in who you really are. And so it's a dare, it's a, it's, it's a courageous move, and yet it's the only way. It's the only way to truly be strong in the Spirit of God, to be the blessed that David talks about. If you'd stand with me as we prepare for a benediction. I want to finish for a benediction with the last verse that was in Psalm 32. David says, rejoice in the Lord. And this is in the context of confession, right? So once you've confessed, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who are righteous, you get to call yourself righteous once you've confessed because you've got the righteousness of Jesus. He says, sing all of you who are upright in heart. And isn't that an image to be upright in heart, right? I mean, you that's the opposite of kind of hanging your head in some kind of guilt or shame to be upright in heart because you know who you are in God because you know that you've traded your sin for songs and all God's people said love y'all God will break you to position you break you to promote you and break you to put you in your right place but when he breaks you he doesn't hurt you he doesn't when he breaks you he doesn't destroy you he does it with grace ah! anybody been gracefully broken where Ooh. thank you Lord thank you so father tonight we're broken before you thank you for handling us with grace yeah. just lift your worship right there in this moment